Hello, Shanks. I hope you are excited to know what happens next because, like, the girl arrives in the maze and she tells that everything is going to change and she's the last one ever. So, let's begin with chapter 9. An odd moment of complete silence hung over the glade. It was as if a supernatural wind had swept through the place and sucked out all sound. Newt had read the message aloud for those who couldn't see the paper, but instead of erupting in confusion, the gladers all stood dumbfounded. Thomas would have expected shouts and questions, arguments, but no one said a word. All eyes were glued to the girl, now lying there as if asleep, her chest rising and falling with shallow breaths. Contrary to their original conclusion, she was very much alive. Newt stood and Thomas hoped for an explanation, a voice of reason, a calming presence. But all he did was crumple the note in his fist, veins popping from his skin as he squeezed it, and Thomas's heart sank. He wasn't sure why, but the situation made him very uneasy. Albie cupped his hands around his mouth. Mad Jacks! Thomas wondered what that word meant. He knew he'd heard it before, but then he was abruptly knocked aside. Two older boys were pushing their way through the crowd. One was tall with a buzz cut, his nose the size of a fat lemon. The other was short and actually had grey hair, already conquering the black on the sides of his head. Thomas could only hope they'd make some sense of everything. So what do we do with her? The taller one asked, his voice much higher pitched than Thomas expected. How should I know? Albie said. You two shanks the Met Jacks. Figure it out. Met Jacks, Thomas repeated in his head, a light going off. They must be the closest thing they have to doctors. The short one was already on the ground, kneeling beside the girl, feeling for her pulse and leaning over to listen to her heartbeat. Who said Clint had first shot at her? Someone yelled from the crowd. There were several barks of laughter. I'm next. How can they choke around? Thomas thought. The girl's half dead. He felt sick inside. Arby's eyes narrowed. His mouth pulled into a tight grin that didn't look like it had anything to do with humor. If anybody touches this girl, Arby said, you are going to spend the night sleeping with the grievers in the maze. Banished. No questions. He paused, turning in a slow circle as if he wanted every person to see his face. Ain't nobody better touch her. Nobody. It was the first time Thomas had actually liked hearing something come out of Albie's mouth. The short guy, who'd been referred to as a medjack, Clint, if the spectator had been correct, stood up from his examination. She seems fine. Breathing okay. Normal heartbeat. Though it's a bit slow. Your guess is as good as mine, but I'd say she's in a coma. Jeff, let's take her to the homestead. His partner, Jeff, stepped over to grab her by the arms while Clint took hold of her feet. Thomas wished he could do more than watch. With every passing second, he doubted more and more that what he'd said earlier was true. She did seem familiar. He felt a connection to her. Though it was impossible to grasp in his mind, the idea made him nervous and he looked around as if someone might have heard his thoughts. On the count of three, Jeff, the taller medjack, was saying, his tall frame looking ridiculous bent in half like a praying mantis. One, two, three. They lifted her with a quick jerk, almost throwing her up in the air. 
She was obviously a lot lighter than they thought and Thomas almost shouted at them to be more careful. Yes, we'll have to see what she does, Jeff said to no one in particular. We can feed her soupy stuff if she doesn't wake up soon. Just watch her closely, Newt said. Must be something special about her or they wouldn't have sent her here. Thomas's gut clenched. He knew that he and the girl were connected somehow. They'd come a day apart. She seemed familiar. He had a consuming urge to become a runner despite learning so many terrible things. What did it all mean? Albie leaned over to look in her face once more before they carried her off. Put her next to Ben's room and keep a watch on her day and night. Nothing better happened without me knowing about it. I don't care if she talks in her sleep or takes a clunk. You come tell me. Yeah, Jeff muttered. Then he and Clint shuffled off to the homestead, the girl's body bouncing as they went and the other gladers finally started to talk about it, scattering as theories bubbled through the air. Thomas watched all this in mute contemplation. The strange connection he felt wasn't his alone. The not-so-wheeled accusations thrown at him only a few minutes before proved that the others suspected something too. But what? He was already completely confused. Being blamed for things only made him feel worse. As of reading his thoughts, Albie walked over and grabbed him by the shoulder. You ain't never seen her before, he asked. Thomas hesitated before he answered. Not, no, not that I remember. He hoped his shaky voice didn't betray his doubts. What if he did know her somehow? What would that mean? You're sure? Newt prodded, standing right behind Albie. I, no, I don't think so. Why are you grilling me like this? All Thomas wanted right then was for night to fall so he could be alone, go to sleep. Albie shook his head, then turned back to Newt, releasing his grip on Thomas's shoulder. Something's whacked. Call a gathering. He said it quietly enough that Thomas didn't think anyone else heard, but it sounded ominous. Then the leader and Newt walked off and Thomas was relieved to see Chuck coming his way. Chuck, what's gathering? He looked proud to know the answer. It's when the keepers meet. They only call one when something weird or terrible happens. Well, I guess today fits both of these categories pretty well. Thomas's stomach rumbled, interrupting his thoughts. I didn't finish my breakfast. Can we get something somewhere? I'm starving. Chuck looked up at him, his eyebrows raised. Seeing that chick wig out made you hungry. You must be more psycho than I thought. Thomas sighed. Just get me some food. The kitchen was small but had everything one needed to make a hearty meal. A big oven, a microwave, a dishwasher, a couple of tables. It seemed old and run-down but clean. Seeing the appliances in the familiar layout made Thomas feel as if memories, real, solid memories, were right on the edge of his mind. But again, the essential parts were missing. Names, faces, places, events. It was maddening. Take a seat, Chuck said. I'll get you something, but I swear this is the last time. Just be glad Frypan isn't around. He hates it when we raid his fridge. Thomas was relieved they were alone. As Chuck fumbled about with dishes and things from the fridge, Thomas pulled out a wooden chair from a small plastic table and sat down. This is crazy. How can this be for real? Somebody sent this here? Somebody evil? Chuck paused. Quit complaining. Just accept it and don't... Think about it. Yeah, right, Thomas looked out the window. This seemed a good time to bring up one of the million questions bouncing through his brain. So, where does the electricity come from? 
Who cares? I'll take it. What is the price? Thomas thought. No answer. Chuck brought two plates with sandwiches and carrots over to the table. The bread was thick and white, the carrots a sparkling bright orange. Thomas's stomach begged him to hurry. He picked up his sandwich and started devouring it. Oh man, he mumbled with a full mouth. At least the food is good. Thomas was able to eat the rest of his meal without another word from Chuck. And he was lucky that the kid didn't feel like talking because despite the complete weirdness of everything that had happened within Thomas's known reach of memory, he felt calm again. His stomach full, his energy replenished, his mind thankful for a few moments of silence. He decided that from then on, he'd quit whining and deal with things. After his last bite, Thomas sat back in his chair. So, Chuck, he said as he wiped his mouth with a napkin, what do I have to do to become a runner? Not that again. Chuck looked up from his plate where he'd been picking at the crumbs. He let out a low, girly burp that made Thomas cringe. Albie said I'd start my trials soon with the different keepers. So, when do I get a shot with the runners? Thomas waited patiently to get some sort of actual information from Chuck. Chuck rolled his eyes dramatically, leaving no doubt as to how stupid an idea he thought that would be. They should be back in a few hours. Why don't you ask them? Thomas ignored the sarcasm, digging deeper. What do they do when they get back every night? What's up with the concrete building? Maps. They meet right when they get back, before they forget anything. Maps. Thomas was confused. But if they're trying to make a map, don't they have paper to write on while they're out there? Maps. This intrigued him more than anything else he'd heard in a while. It was the first thing suggesting a potential solution to their predicament. Of course they do, but there's still stuff they need to talk about and discuss and analyze and all that clunk. Plus, the boy rolled his eyes. They spend most of their time running, not writing. That's why they're called runners. Thomas thought about the runners and the maps. Could the maze really be so massively huge that even after two years, they still hadn't found a way out? It seemed impossible, but then he remembered what Albie said about the moving walls. What if all of them were sentenced to live here until they died? Sentenced. The word made him feel a rush of panic, and the spark of hope the meal had brought him fizzled with a silent hiss. Chuck, what if we're all criminals? I mean, what if we're murderers or something? Huh? Chuck looked up at him as if he were a crazy person. Where did that happy thought come from? Think about it. Our memories are white. We live inside a place that seems to have no way out, surrounded by bloodthirsty monster guards. Doesn't that sound like a prison to you? As he said it out loud, it sounded more and more possible. Nausea trickled into his chest. I'm probably 12 years old, dude. Chuck pointed to his chest. At most 13. You really think I did something that could send me to prison for the rest of my life? I don't care what you did or didn't do. Either way, you have been sent to a prison. Does this seem like a vacation to you? Oh man, Thomas thought. Please let me be wrong. Chuck thought for a moment. I don't know. It's better than... Yeah, I know, living in a pile of clunk. Thomas stood up and pushed his chair back under the table. He liked Chuck, but trying to have an intelligent conversation with him was impossible. Not to mention frustrating and irritating. Go make yourself another sandwich. I'm going exploring. See ya tonight. 
he stepped out of the kitchen and into the courtyard before Chuck could offer to join him. The glade had gone back to business as usual. People working the jobs, the doors of the box closed, sun shining down. Any signs of a crazed girl bearing notes of doom had disappeared. Having had his tour cut short, he decided to take a walk around the glade on his own and get a better look and feel for the place. He headed out for the northeast corner toward the big row of tall green corn stalks that looked ready to harvest. There was other stuff too, tomatoes, lettuce, peas, a lot more that Thomas didn't recognize. He took a deep breath, loving the fresh whiff of dirt and growing plants. He was almost positive the smell would bring back some sort of pleasant memory, but nothing came. As he got closer, he saw that several boys were weeding and picking in the small fields. One waved at him with a smile, an actual smile. Maybe this place won't be so bad after all, Thomas thought. Not everyone here could be a jerk. He took another deep breath of the pleasant air and pulled himself out of his thoughts. There was a lot more he wanted to see. Next was the southeast corner, where shabbily built wooden fences held in several cows, goats, sheep and pigs. No horses, though. That sucks, Thomas thought. Riders would definitely be faster than runners. As he approached, he figured he must have dealt with animals in his life before the glade. Their smell, their sound, they seemed very familiar to him. The smell wasn't quite as nice as the crops, but still, he imagined it could have been a lot worse. As he explored the area, he realized more and more how well the gladers kept up the place. How clean it was. He was impressed by how organized they must be, how hard they all must work. He could only imagine how truly horrific a place like this could be if everyone went lazy and stupid. Finally, he made it to the southwest quarter near the forest. He was approaching the sparse, skeletal trees in front of the denser woods where he was startled by a blur of movement at his feet, followed by a hurried set of clacking sounds. He looked down just in time to see the sun flash off something metallic. A toy rat scurrying past him and toward the small forest. The thing was already ten feet away by the time he realized it wasn't a rat at all. It was more like a lizard, with at least six legs scuttling the long silver torso along. A beetle blade. It's how they watch us, Albie had said. He got a gleam of red light sweeping the ground in front of the creature, as if it came from its eyes. Logic told him it had to be his mind playing tricks on him, but he swore he saw the word wicked scrawled down its round back in large green letters. Something so strange had to be investigated. Thomas printed after the scurrying spy and in a matter of seconds he entered the thick copse of trees and the world became dark. How was it? Okay, that, that was the ending of the ninth chapter. Good, wasn't it? But it didn't solve our curiosity, right? As they say, curiosity killed the cat. But satisfaction brought it back. Okay, let's start with chapter 10 then. I hope we will be satisfied with this chapter. He couldn't believe how quickly the light disappeared. From the glade proper, the forest didn't look that big. Maybe a couple of acres? Yet the trees were tall with sturdy trunks packed tightly together, the canopy up above thick with leaves. The air around him had a greenish, muted hue, as if only several minutes of twilight remained in the day. It was somehow beautiful and creepy all at once. Moving as fast as he could, Thomas crashed through the heavy foliage, thin branches slapping at his face. He ducked to avoid a low-hanging limb almost falling. 
Reaching out, he caught hold of a branch and swung himself forward to regain his balance. A thick bed of leaves and fallen twigs crunched underneath him. All the while, his eyes stayed riveted on the beetle blades scuttling across the forest floor. Deeper it went, its red light growing brighter as the surroundings darkened. Thomas had charged 30 or 40 feet into the woods, dodging and ducking and losing ground with every second. When the beetle blade jumped onto a particularly large tree and scooted up its trunk, but by the time Thomas reached the tree, any sign of the creature had vanished. It had disappeared deep within the foliage, almost as if it had never existed. He'd lost the sucker. Shock it, Thomas whispered, almost as a joke. Almost. As strange as it seemed, the word felt natural on his lips, like he was already morphing into a glider. A twig snapped somewhere to his right and he jogged his head in that direction. He stilled his breath. He listened. Another snap, this time louder, almost like someone had broken a stick over their knee. Who's there? Thomas yelled out, a tangle of fear shooting across his shoulder. His voice bounced off the canopy of leaves above him, echoing through the air. He stayed frozen, rooted to the spot as all grew silent, except for the whistling song of a few birds in the distance. But no one answered his call. Nor did he hear any more sounds from that direction. Without really thinking of it through, Thomas headed toward the noise he'd heard. Not bothering to hide his progress, he pushed aside branches as he walked. He squinted, built his eyes to work in the growing darkness, wishing he had a flashlight. He thought about flashlights and his memory. Once again, he remembered a tangible thing from his past, but he couldn't assign it to any specific time or place couldn't associate it with any other personal event. Frustrating. Anybody there? He asked again, feeling a little calmer. Since the noise hadn't repeated, it was probably just an animal. Maybe another beetle bleed. Just in case, he called out. It's me, Thomas, the new guy. Well, the second newest guy. He winced and shook his head, hoping now that no one was there. He sounded like a complete idiot. Again, no reply. He stepped around a large oak and pulled up short. An icy shiver ran down his back. It reached the graveyard. The clearing was small, maybe 30 square feet, and covered with a thick layer of leafy weeds growing close to the ground. Thomas could see several clumsily prepared wooden crosses poking through this growth. Their horizontal pieces lashed to the upright ones with a splintery twine. The grave markers had been painted white, but by someone in an obvious hurry, geld globs covered them and bare streaks of wood showed through. Names had been carved into the wood. Thomas stepped up hesitantly to the closest one and knelt down to get a look. The light was so dull now that he almost felt as if he were looking through black mist. Even the birds had quieted, like they had gone to bed for the night and the sound of insects was barely noticeable or at least much less than normal. For the first time, Thomas realized how humid it was in the woods, the damp air already beading sweat on his forehead, the backs of his hands. He leaned closer to the first cross. It looked fresh and bore the name Stephen. The N extra small and right at the edge because the carver hadn't estimated well how much room he'd need. Stephen, Thomas thought feeling an unexpected but detached sorrow. What's your story? Chuck, annoy you to death? Okay, so 
I just would like to interrupt a bit here. Like Stephen name. It's it's someone's name, okay? I won't tell it to you now. We'll probably see it in a prequel to the Maze Runner series. Okay, you can think till then whose name would have been Stephen. Let's continue. He stood and walked over to another cross. This one almost completely overgrown with weeds. The ground firm at its base. Whoever it was, he must have been one of the first to die because his grave looked the oldest. The name was George. Thomas looked around and saw there were a dozen or so other graves. A couple of them appeared to be just as fresh as the first one he'd examined. A silvery glint caught his attention. It was different from the scuttling beetle that had led him to the forest, but just as odd. He moved through the markers until he got to a grave covered with a sheet of grimy plastic or glass. Its edges slimmed with filth. He squinted, trying to make out what was on the other side, then gasped when it came into focus. It was a window into another grave, one that had dusty remnants of a rotting body. Completely creeped out, Thomas leaned closer to get a better look anyway, curious. The tomb was smaller than usual. Only the top half of the deceased person lay inside. He remembered Chuck's story about the boy who tried to rappel down the dark hole of the box after it had descended, only to be cut in two by something slicing through the air. Words were etched in the glass. Thomas could barely read them. Let this half-shan be a warning to all. You can't escape through the box. Thomas felt the odd urge to snicker. It seemed too ridiculous to be true, but he was also disgusted with himself for being so shallow and glib. Shaking his head, he had stepped aside to read more names of the dead when another tick broke. This time, straight in front of him, right behind the trees on the other side of the graveyard. Then another snap, then another, coming closer, and the darkness was thick. He was out there, he called, his voice shaky and hollow. It sounded as if he was speaking inside an insulated tunnel. Seriously, so stupid, he hated to admit to himself just how terrified he was. Instead of answering, the person gave up all pretense of stealth and started running, crashing through the forest line around the clearing of the graveyard, circling toward the spot where Thomas stood. He froze, panic overtaking him. Now only a few feet away, the visitor grew louder and louder until Thomas got a shadowed glimpse of a skinny boy limping along in a strange, lilting run. Who the heck? The boy burst through the trees before Thomas could finish. He saw only a flash of pale skin and anonymous eyes, the haunted image of an apparition, and cried out. Tried to run, but it was too late. The figure leaped into the air and was on top of him, slamming into his shoulders. Gripping him with strong hands, Thomas crashed to the ground. He felt a grave marker dig into his back before it snapped into, burning a deep scratch along his flesh. He pushed and sweated at his attacker as the relentless jumble of skin and bones cavorting on top of him as he tried to gain purchase. It seemed like a monster, a horror from a nightmare, but Thomas knew it had to be a greater, someone who'd lost his mind. He heard teeth snapping open and closed, a horrific clack, clack, clack. Then he felt the charring dagger of pain as the boy's mouth found a home, which deeply into Thomas's shoulder. Thomas screamed, the pain like a burst of adrenaline through his blood. He planted the palms of his hands against his attacker's chest and pushed, straightening his arms until his muscles strained against the struggling figure above him. 
Finally, the kid fell back. A sharp crack filled the air as another grave marker met its demise. Thomas squirmed away on his hands and feet, sucking in breaths of air, and got his first good look at the crazed attacker. It was the sick boy. It was Ben. That was crazy, wasn't it? That was really crazy. Like, Ben is... I mean, I don't know. Eating Thomas? Or hurting him with his teeth? I really feel sorry for Thomas. I don't know what has happened to the Ben guy. Lost his brain or something. I don't know. We will see next time. Stay tuned. Only on the Maze Runner Podcast.